Not sure what to make for dinner? Need some inspiration? Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, join Gabriel and his food hero guests on The Dinner Special. And now, here's your host, Gabriel So. Welcome to The Dinner Special. I am Gabriel So, and I am so excited to have Marisa McClellan of Food and Jars here on the show today. Marisa is a canning teacher, an author of two amazingly well-received cookbooks on preserving, and a writer whose work appears regularly on the Food Network's FN Dish blog, Savour's website, Table Matters, and Food 52. It's so awesome to have you here today, Marisa. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Well, you know your blog, Food and Jars, can you tell me about the journey of how it came together? Yeah, absolutely. So I started Food and Jars in late winter 2009. I had been working as the editor of a website called Slash Food, which was AOL's food blog. And my job there was coming to an end and I wanted to stay in the food blog community. And so I looked around to figure out what it was I wanted to write about. And I realized that I loved canning jars and had done some canning, grew up doing it and really felt like there was space for me to start a blog sort of devoted to mason jars and canning and preserving. And so I decided to carve out that little niche for myself. And it has been an incredible journey since then. Right. You mentioned that you've been canning since you were young. So would you say that this was kind of something that comes naturally to you or something that you learned throughout time? I would say that at the start it came naturally to me, but in the beginning I didn't know how much I didn't know. And so there's been a lot of learning since I started only because as I dived deeper in, I didn't know that there was so much that I still needed to learn. But I was already so invested that that learning process was really fun and exciting and natural. Do you do most of your learning from books or classes or the internet or YouTube? (laughs) I do most of my learning from books in the internet. For instance, there's a really great resource, the National Center for Home Food Preservation, which is run out of the University of Georgia and is sort of the repository for the best practices of all sort of canning and food preservation. And they have a really good cookbook. I took one class when I was first getting started on pressure canning, just because I wanted to see someone else do it before I dove in. But for the most part, the kinds of things I was curious about, the answers weren't out there. So I had to dig through and look at like the USDA standards for commercial canning to figure out what was okay and what wasn't. And that was fun and interesting to me. So I was happy to dive in and figure all that out. Now, do you remember the very first thing you ever canned and preserved? Well, as a kid, most of what we did was either blackberry jam or blueberry jam. So I remember being nine or 10 years old and helping my mom make blackberry jam. I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and that's a place in the world where blackberries just sort of grow anywhere. There's a little strip of land, whether it's on the side of the highway or sort of in the forest or in a vacant lot. And so that's sort of one of my primary, you know, sort of foundational canning memories. And then as I got older, we'd go blueberry picking every summer. And so those two together, blueberries and blackberries, are really the core of my earliest canning memories. And what I started with when I started canning on my own. Well, it's clear that you have an obsession for canning, but where did your canning jars obsession come from? I think it started in college. I went to college in Walla Walla, Washington, so rural Washington state. And I picked up a habit of wandering thrift stores and antique stores and junk stores when I had an afternoon off from classes. And the thing I was drawn to were the old mason jars. And so I would pick up one or two here and there until I had 
couple dozen in my dorm room and you know I used them for water glasses I used them for pens and it just kind of grew from there and I don't know why there's just something so appealing about a mason jar it's clean and it's got a nice heft to it and it's so sort of it has so much possibility just in the vessel itself. Right. And it's one of these things that's very comforting too, I think, because it's very familiar to, to, to home and hominess. Yeah, exactly. Now, I used to make my own jams, and now my mom is really into canning her own pickles and canning salmon and things like that. I think a hurdle that held me back from canning for a really long time was the whole process of sterilization and not knowing exactly if I was doing it right or if I was actually preserving what I wanted to preserve. <laughs> what advice or tips would you give someone who's never canned before but wants to try? Well, the first thing I would say is there's a lot of really good instruction out there. As long as you're getting your information from a trusted source like the ball canning website or, you know, in Canada, the Bernardin website, and they're actually the same company, the National Center for Home Food Preservation, my website, there's a whole sort of slew of good online information out there. As long as you're sort of following those best practices, which are to use common sense, clean gear, and process your jars for at least 10 minutes once they're full of whatever you've made, you're going to be okay. It's yeah. really hard to do harm to someone with jams or pickles or anything. And the thing to know, too, is that botulism, which is the thing that scares everybody about canning, botulism right. can't grow in high acid environments, which means that all of your jams and pickles, anything that's designed to be canned in a water bath, is too high in acid for botulism to grow at all. So the worst thing that's going to happen is if you do something wrong, it's either going to mold or it's going to ferment. And you'll be able to see those things immediately upon opening the jar. So you're never going to make someone sick with a jam or a pickle or a chutney or any of these things. And if they do go bad, you'll see immediately. So there's really no danger. That's a really good tip because especially when I was canning, I just never knew. I was just like putting it out there and just hoping for the best. When you were just starting out, were there times where, and you were experimenting, were there times where the canning didn't work out, where the process sort of didn't come out as planned? There have been times when I've made things that weren't as good as I wanted them to be. And that typically happens either when I'm rushing. I find that if you really try to rush your way through a batch of jam or fruit butter or whatever, it's going to take as long as it's going to take. And if you have a timetable that's not working with the fruit, it's better to stop cooking and come back to it later than it is to try to like force your time frame onto it. And yeah, I mean, I had some really horrible mistakes, like nothing dangerous, but things that didn't taste good. And I think that that's part of the process. You know, one of the things with canning and food preservation that I've really experienced and have observed other people going through as well is that we have lost sort of the institutional knowledge of what we like. You know, it's like it used to be that everybody canned and preserved and you knew like the five or ten things you made every year that you liked or your family liked. But if you're picking up the canning habit, the food preservation habit, without any context, it's going to take you a few years to figure out what it is the things are that you like to preserve that work for your family that you'll work through in a calendar year. And so it's sort of this necessary process of discovery to figure out what are your preserves. And I think that that's just as sort of as a community, as a culture, as we pick this habit back up, that's a natural part of the process. Absolutely. I think the first book I bought about food canning and preservation was like from the dummy series. And I mean, it's definitely a process. And I think today, a lot of us don't really have the patience to sort of go through that process. <laughs> so you know, it's something that takes time and takes time to evolve. Now, you clearly have a love of ingredients and food. 
especially since you're taking so much time to preserve them. Where did this love come from? I don't really know, to be honest. It is just something that's always been with me. I've always been a little bit food obsessed from the time I was really young. In fact, my first sentence, the first full sentence I said as a baby was, more mayonnaise, please. So I think it's innate to me. I really just have always been interested in food from the time I was really young. I loved going to orchards and doing, you know, picking your own. I've always appreciated the abundance of the harvest season. Like that's something that just resonates. It connects. I feel at most at home during that time of the year. And so there wasn't any one sort of foundational experience that made me go, oh, I'm oh got food. That's where I want to be. It's just kind of grown with me as I have grown as a person. Awesome. Well, here at the dinner special, we talk with food heroes about dinner dishes that are special to them and how we can make it at home. Now, can you tell or talk about a dish that is special to you and maybe the story behind the dish? Sure. So one of the dinners that's really special to me is this kind of strange stewed turkey legs and onions kind of soup that my mom made when I was growing up. And it's actually something that she learned from her mother. And the reason it's special is that my grandmother was not much of a cook. And so it's not as if there was a deep well of recipes that my mom learned growing up. In fact, my mother didn't really learn to cook until she got married and moved out. But my grandmother made this dish, and it was really a basic thing. You slice up four big onions, and you saute them in the bottom of a big pot that you can sort of cook for a long time, a Dutch oven. And once the onions are sauteed a little bit, browned a little bit, you kind of just nestle in four or five, how many your pot can fit, big turkey legs. You salt it generously, maybe you add a little thyme if you're being fancy, and then you add some water, and then you just put a lid on the pot and let it stew and simmer over low heat for a few hours. And then we always, during my childhood, we ate it over brown rice because my mother was something of a hippie. I'm sure my grandmother served it over like buttered egg noodles or white rice, but in my childhood it was always brown rice. And it is so savory, but you get the flavor from the onions and it always needs a little bit of salt when you're eating it and it's better as leftovers. And it's just one of those things that like it tastes and it smells like home to me and I love it. Well, if you were to share this dish with three famous people, who would you share it with? Okay, so my three would be Helen Keller, because she, even though she needed a translator of some sort, but she has always been one of my very favorite personalities from history because she overcame so much adversity. The next would be Lori Colwin, who died too young, but she was a food writer, and I just love her work, and I have this, like, this little connection to her, and I always wanted to meet her, and I never got the opportunity. And then the third would be John Prine, which sounds like a strange thing, but he's a sort of country slash folk singer and songwriter who I've always really enjoyed and admired and you know I like his music because it's not complicated music but the songs always tell a story and that's important to me. Well let's say that you were doing dinner and a movie with these three guests at your home. What movie would be playing in the background? <laughs> this is gonna sound so weird but the movie Crossing Delancey which is a 1980s movie about Jews on the Lower East Side of New York. One woman is a sort of, she's a little bit fancier, has moved on from her past, and her grandmother hires a matchmaker to connect her up with someone from the old neighborhood, and he's a pickle maker. Well, you're a busy teacher and a writer. 
Do you still enjoy cooking for yourself? I do. I do still enjoy cooking for myself. I will certainly admit to going through phases where I get tired of trying to put together new food. And I mean, I always like cooking. I feel like writing about food right now is sort of a difficult thing because there's so many people doing it. And so sometimes I feel pressure to sort of make my food Instagram worthy or got to come up with something new or on trend or, you know, something like that. But as long as I can sort of shake off those outward expectations or this expectation I thrust on myself, I can always enjoy making food. And is there a classic recipe on your website that we can try? Well, you know, most of the things on my website are recipes for preserves or, you know, it, this time of year or any time of year, really, if you're looking for a really easy jam that's going to go well, both on toast or like with a cheese course or even just stirred into oatmeal, I have a recipe for pear vanilla jam, which sounds sort of simple and basic. And it really is easy in the sense that it's just pears, sugar, a fresh vanilla bean, and some lemon juice. But it's one of those preserves that sort of transcends the four simple ingredients and becomes something more and far more delicious. So that might be one I'd suggest. Cool. I'll definitely check that out. Now, for people where cooking is more of a chore, how can we make it more fun for them? Well, for people who think it's a chore, I simply say, try something easy. Learn to scramble eggs really well. I don't think that everyone in the world has to cook, but we all have to eat. Or let me rephrase. I don't think everybody has to love cooking, but we all have to eat and we all need to be able to make the basics. And so I think the best advice I can say to someone is just to keep it simple. Your first meal doesn't have to be a five course extravaganza. Like I said, learn to make really good scrambled eggs or pancakes or French toast. And that'll take you far. Yeah, I think it just goes back to sort of people putting pressure on themselves for like feeling like they have to make something that's really extravagant, especially because when they watch TV or when we watch TV and we look through cookbooks, everything looks so amazing and like so wonderful. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can make really good food that's really easy and takes very little time. And that's okay, too. Right. Now, Marissa, you've written a couple of books food in jars, preserving in small batches year-round, and your latest, Preserving by the Pint. Can you tell me more about your books? Sure. So the first book, Food in Jars, came out in 2012 and is a cookbook devoted to sort of my favorite preserves. It's got jams and jellies and pickles and chutneys. There are some recipes for bread mixes in jars. I've got some nut butters, granolas. It was sort of my attempt to wrap my arms around all my favorite things that I had done on the blog and translate them into a book. Now, the recipes are all revised for the book, so you'll see something on the blog and it will have been changed a little bit or tweaked or made better for the book. I think of it as a really good book for someone who's just started canning, who wants the basics, and who doesn't mind yielding anywhere from like three to four pints of something. The new book, which came out last spring called Preserving by the Pint, it's still, you know, jams and jellies and pickles and things like that, but it has sort of a philosophy that canning doesn't have to be a large undertaking, that it's something that you can do in very small batches in an hour or less and still really enjoy your product. The idea behind that was simply that I live in a small apartment and have a small kitchen and wanted to make things in small batches. And when I started posting those recipes, other people really resonated with them. So every recipe in the book starts with either a pint of produce, a quart of produce, or a pound or two, so that your yields are only two or three half pints, but the amount of time you've invested in making them is really short. And so it's a really good way to 
prevent waste as well. I always talk about that as my sort of secret mission with that book is it's not just about preserving, but it's also about breathing new life into things that you might have otherwise thrown away or decided you just couldn't deal with. So for instance, if you get a CSA share, some weeks you get more than you can deal with. And instead of just throwing it away at the end of the week before you pick up your new box, you can make a little batch of pickles or a little batch of jam and you know, extend the lifespan of that produce and get the most bang for your buck. For sure. And I think that's a great excuse to experiment too. I love how on your personal blog, Apartment 2024, you document your cookbook tour and all the behind the scenes lessons learned. Why did you want to share this? Well, I think of Apartment 2024, I mean, not many people read that blog. And so it's as much a record for me as it is for the world. You know, I wanted to make sure I didn't forget some of those lessons that I had learned along the way so that I can prevent myself from repeating the same mistakes. Because in life, if you don't take to heart the things you learn, you do the same things over and over again. And I don't want to do that. I want to move on, learn new lessons, not have to keep learning the same ones over and over. Right. And I think for a lot of people who are interested or curious about writing a cookbook and and aspiring towards writing a cookbook, it's a really good sort of thing for them to follow because it's not easy. No, it's a lot of work. And throughout the process, you definitely have moments where you doubt yourself. You think, what am I doing? You know, I'm working on my third book right now. And I have moments where I'm like, I don't know how to write a book. I don't know how to do this. I've done it twice. And I still have those feelings. Wow. For anybody that's curious about all the amounts of work involved, go to Marisa's Apartment 2024 (laughs) blog and check it out. Now, I call the next part of the Dinner Special podcast, The Pressure Cooker. I'm going to ask you seven fast and fun questions that we want to know your answers to. Are you up for it? I'm ready. Okay. Number one, which food shows or cooking shows do you watch? I watch Cutthroat Kitchen because my husband's a big fan. I watch um, Top Chef because I find it fascinating. And it's a really good representation of what's sort of in the chefy world at the moment. And I watch whatever other little things drift my way. I really like the online video that the Breville, like small appliance company puts out. They have a really nice YouTube page. Yeah, I've seen that. They chat with chefs about sort of making their specialty dishes and things like that. Number two, what are some food blogs or websites we have to know about? Well, food blogs, I love my little community food preservation blogs like Punk Domestics and the um, Sean Timberlake who writes that blog is also now the blogger for about.com as far for food preservation. He's been doing an amazing job there. Well Preserved, which is a Canadian food blog. My friend Kate Payne writes Hip Girl's Guide to Homemaking, which is a really good one. And I have a friend who writes a blog called What I Weigh Today. And it's really interesting because it's the intersection of someone who is a food writer, a food editor, loves food, and is also trying to find ways to eat healthfully and work her way through sort of dealing with weight in a culture where we put a lot of focus on both food and body image and finding how to make that all work together. Oh, wow. That's a good list. I've not heard of them, but I'm definitely going to check them out. Number three, who do you follow on Pinterest, Instagram, or Twitter that make you happy? You know, I'm definitely an Instagram addict. I follow a lot of people. It's hard to even articulate. My friend Alexis Siemens, her, she has a website called Teaspoon and Petals, and her Instagram handle is, I think, something like Tea and Petals or something like that. And she's a tea writer and takes the most beautiful pictures of teacups and desserts and things like that. 
you know, it's hard to say because Instagram, it's one of those things where it's so ethereal and, you know, you just kind of take things as they come. I don't even know how to answer that question, to be honest. No worries. Well, we'll go to your Instagram and we'll check out who you're following. Okay, number four. What is something all home cooks should have in their pantry? All home cooks should have salt in their pantry. You know, you never want to run out of salt because it's going to give everything flavor. Vinegar is also useful. Anytime you make something and it tastes flat, if you add a little apple cider vinegar or balsamic vinegar, it's going to brighten it up. So salt and vinegar, and it's hard to go wrong. Awesome. Number five, name one ingredient you cannot live without. I cannot live without garlic. I always have some. I use it every day. And my favorite way to add it to a dish is to grate it on a microplane rasp because you get tiny little bits. You don't have to chop it and you get a lot of flavor. And one of the tricks I learned recently was that if you want to brighten up a pot of soup, instead of adding your garlic at the beginning of cooking, add a little fresh garlic at the end and it's going to just make it taste more alive. That makes sense. I've never tried that before, but, you know, because it's so powerful when it's raw and when you put it in the cooked soup, it must sort of integrate really well. Yeah, it's really delicious. Number six, what are a few cookbooks that make your life better? Well, as far as just needing the basics, I still always turn to the joy of cooking. Anytime I need to make, you know, biscuits or just need a basic recipe for something like that, that's my go-to. And I like 1960s edition the best because that's the one I grew up with. The So Easy to Preserve cookbook, that's the one I mentioned earlier from the National Center for Home Food Preservation. That's a great one for when I just need to understand how a recipe should work. I turn to that. And there's a book I love called Whole Grains for a New Generation by Liana Krisoff. And it's one that I always find something new in it. Great. Well, number seven, the final question. What song or album just makes you want to cook? There is an album called Recuperation by Al Cooper, who is a sort of blues and jazz organ player that I love to cook to. Okay, so definitely have to check that one out. Congratulations, Marisa. You have officially survived the pressure cooker. Thanks. Marisa, thank you so much for joining me here on the Dinner Special podcast. Now, you're all over social media. What's the best way for us to keep posted with what you're up to? Well, you can either subscribe to the RSS feed from my blog or follow me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. I try to keep all of those sort of outlets updated and there I'm food in jars at everything. So, you know, anywhere that is your favorite social media or information feed, I'm there and I'm trying to keep the world posted about what I'm doing. And guys, don't forget to check out Marisa's amazing books on canning and preserving. You can find them via her website, foodandjars.com, or just do a search on Amazon and pretty much go to any bookstore around all over the place. You'll find her there. Now, before I let you go, I have one final question. What's next? Well, I'm working on a book right now that's all about preserving with natural sweeteners. So that'll be out in the spring of 2016. After that, I have a couple of projects in the hopper, but they're still sort of too new and I don't know they're just not ready for prime time yet and then you know still teaching still traveling doing as much as I can to get people excited about canning and help them release their fears about it that's kind of my mission so awesome well thank you so much again Marisa it's been such a pleasure having you on the dinner special podcast thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it thank you so much for listening head over to the dinnerspecial.com 
for recipes, highlights from every show, super blog articles, and all the wonderful ways to keep in touch on social media. Your culinary journey awaits, so let's get cooking.